Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So a question for you this morning. Is God in the punishment business or the celebration business? Is God a God who is much more comfortable being down in the dungeon or celebrating up in the salon and the living room? That is the question that our gospel reading for this morning poses to all of us as we gather here this morning. Do we serve a God who revels in anger or one who is excited by joy? There are two groups that are listening to Jesus in this morning's gospel lesson, just as there are almost always two different groups of people listening to Jesus whenever his word is proclaimed. The first group are the Pharisees and the scribes, the super hyper-religious people, Sophia, of their age. These are the ones who knew the law, who kept the law, and wanted everybody to do the law exactly as it was written down to the lost jot and tittle. But for this morning's purposes, we're going to call this group of people the grumblers because they are the ones who are profoundly unhappy with everything Jesus is doing and saying. Now, the other audience is the tax collectors and sinners. Now, all of us who absolutely hate paying taxes can understand perfectly well why they would be lumped in with the sinner. Anybody who has received a letter from CRA or from Revenue Quebec would really like to see those people come and confess here receive absolution from the Lord. But these are the two groups that were most hated by the grumblers. But they are drawing near to Jesus. They're not just there on the outside, kind of trying to listen in while they're maybe playing jewel block or whatever on their phone. They are trying to get as close to the Lord as possible because they have heard something he is saying that has gotten them profoundly excited. So we're going to call them the hopefuls. And these are our two audiences, the grumblers and the hopefuls. Now, why are the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling? They say this man receives sinners and eats with them, which is about the worst thing you can imagine doing with people that are of ill repute bad morals, people that have clearly gone against their own people, the tax collectors who are working for the Romans, and sinners who have maybe done something as subtle as forgot to wash their hands before the evening meal, or something as simple as having washed the wrong set of dishes or not cleaned the house out of yeast before the Passover. And Jesus isn't just sitting down for a meal with them, which, as we all know, is the center of almost all of our culture's fellowship. Do you want to make friends with people? You invite them over for lunch. You invite them for coffee. You invite them for dinner. Jesus is not just eating with them. He is receiving them, which almost implies he's the host, that these people haven't just stumbled around Jesus's dining table by accident, but that he and his disciples have invited them to come in and sit and eat with him and listen to what he has to say. And the Pharisees and scribes are grumbling. They can't stand it. 
Why? Well, I might draw as an illustration here, Mr. Filch from the Harry Potter movies. Mr. Filch, who is always running into the Great Hall to complain that he's seen a student doing this or a student doing that. He's seen people out after hours. He's seen people out of their rooms. He's seen people that are messing around in classrooms, and he says he wants some punishment. People who used to be hung by their toes when they did these things. And that's what the grumblers expect from the Lord's Messiah. You shouldn't be receiving these people and eating with them. They should be punished, set right. They need at least a stern talking to, if not something even worse. Now, on the other hand, we have the hopefuls. We have the tax collectors and the sinners that are drawing near to hear him. And we know from the Gospels what it is that they are hearing him say that has them so hopeful. Possibility of forgiveness. The possibility of another way to become right with God. The possibility that forgetting to wash their hands before a meal or forgetting to scrub the right dish or forgetting to cleanse the house of yeast or even worse things that they may have done in their past could be set aside by God and wiped away and that nay, just like the Pharisees, could stand before God holy and righteous. There was hope. Their life wasn't condemned before God. That's what they were hearing from Jesus. And for those of you who have lived under the burden of guilt for things that you have done, you can imagine what it would be like to hear someone saying, there can be forgiveness and a cleansing from guilt. After all, what does a person's life look like without hope? I know of no person who lives a life of virtue, and kindness, and generosity, who is able to serve their neighbor as Jesus served sinners like us, who at the bottom of their heart has no hope. Hope is a foundation for virtue. It's a foundation for being able to move on in the world. If you have hope for yourself, hope for your family, hope for your city and country and for the future, you are able to rise up and do good. And so Jesus is giving these people that hope. Faced with these two groups, the grumblers and the hopefuls, Jesus does what he almost always does in the Gospels which is he starts telling stories. And he tells them two parables, two stories, that at their heart are really about unity and restoring joy. They are about reconciliation between these two groups, because that is what brings God the most happiness and contentment. You see, the center of these two parables is not actually finding a lost sheep, or finding a lost coin. That's not the pivot point. It's not the heart of what these stories are. The heart of each of them is this. When the shepherd has found the lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. 
Or in the case of the widow, when she has found her lost coin, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Rejoice with me. That is the heart of both of these stories, and it's the answer to the very first question I asked you this morning. Is God a God of the dungeons or of the party room? Is God a God of wrath and anger primarily or a God who desires joy and celebration? It is most clearly joy. Because who is it really that is saying rejoice with me if it's not our God? If it's not our Lord, who is saying to the grumblers, I did not come so that I might point the finger at the tax collectors and sinners and make all of you feel self-righteous. I came that both of you might come together and sit down and rejoice, lost and found, sinner and righteous one, that all of you might celebrate being part of God's family together. That precisely is Jesus's mission of reconciliation, a mission that he is so committed to that he is willing to let us torture him, nail him to a cross, and he is willing to die for it, to die for you. The tax collectors and sinners might be able to rejoice in the presence of their God once again. In Luke chapter 15, which, by the way, concludes with the famous parable of the lost son, both grumblers and the hopefuls that are listening to Jesus are surprised by joy. They're surprised that this is what God has come to bring. They're surprised that God would turn our evil into good through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Both of those groups, you see, thought that when the Messiah came, he would come to condemn, to judge, and to separate out those who were good and righteous and kept the dots and tittles of the law from those who hadn't been able to. They are surprised. God meant what he said when he spoke to us with prophet Ezekiel this morning and said, I, I myself will shepherd my sheep. I will call them from all the places where they have been scattered and bring them together that I might rejoice. They were both surprised that the mission of the Messiah was to bring joy by urging grumblers and hopefuls to be reconciled together through the blood of Jesus Christ. And once they were reconciled to God through Jesus, be reconciled to one another. That's what Paul is driving at in his letter to Timothy. He starts out, of course, sounding a lot like the grumblers. The law is not laid down for the just, for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Preach it all. 
He is on fire this morning. The grumblers are super happy. This is what they want to hear. This is what God should be about. The hammer is coming down. The sickle is bringing in the sheaves. People are finally going to get what's coming to them. And Paul turns it all around. Formerly, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And just to hammer the point home, he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Not was, who am. Paul, who used to be a grumbler, used to be with the Pharisees and the scribes, was happy to see Stephen, the first Christian martyr, stoned to death by the Sanhedrin, is now happy and rejoicing to count himself with the hopefuls, to see himself as a sinner, because only then is he reconciled to God in Christ. I always remember this story that was recounted to me in another sermon long time ago by a Baptist preacher in the United States by the name of Tony Campolo. Tony works in Philadelphia. In fact, he worked in the inner city of Philadelphia, part of the United States that is, is so rough and tumble that my wife, who had spent two and a half weeks in Liberia, when she was coming with me into West Philadelphia, said, you know, if you had blindfolded me and then taken my blindfold off, I'm not sure I, whether I could tell you I was still in war-torn Liberia or in America. That's where Tony worked. And one day while he was walking through the area of Philadelphia where he was ministering, there was a homeless man, a lot of homeless just like there are here, started stumbling up towards him and he smelled awful. And he looked awful and he had a coffee cup in his hand. He said, sir, sir, I want you to have this. Tony looked at him and wasn't sure what to do. He said, do I really want to take this cup from this man? But in the end, he did. And he said, drink it. And he took a sip and he said, that's pretty good coffee. And the man looked at him and said, I know somebody just gave this to me. And it was so good that I knew I just had to share it with somebody else. Tony said to us in that moment, I knew I, the great Baptist preacher and professor was a sinful man because I wasn't looking for joy, I was judging. And I say to each and every one of you, from your Lord Jesus Christ to you, that today, when you leave this place, God will be looking to bring joy to you through the reconciliation that you have first with him and that you will be able to have with others through Christ. 
I don't know when that will happen or how it will happen, but I do know how it will happen first. And it will be in that moment when you recognize that you too have sinned, but that Jesus, the good shepherd, has sought you out and brought you home and has said to his angels, come, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.